1, 29 to 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, this is the one. Let me start again. <laughs> the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The reason I came baptising with water is so that he could be revealed to all of Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Well, good morning, everybody. What a great God we have, and it's been wonderful to sing and praise Him together. Um, I'm wondering, uh, tonight, I just want you to know, uh, Gail is speaking. It's the second in our series on what would Jesus say. And uh, it's broader than what our title is in the news sheet today. Uh, The title will actually be not just what Jesus would say to a uh, terminally ill person, but rather, what would Jesus say to a suffering world? I think for all of us, uh, we, we wonder in the midst of pain and hurt and evil and so many things going wrong, you know, what would Jesus say to a suffering world? Does Jesus care? It, it, does he understand how we feel? And uh, that's what Gar will be talking about tonight. What would Jesus say to a suffering world? Now, I'm wondering, all the people here this morning who live Um, who are currently living in Australia, I'm wondering if you could just stand where you are. If you're currently living in Australia, if if you could. Wonderful. Oh, there's a few of you, isn't there? It's great. It's great to see you. Now, I'm wondering, out of all you that are standing right now, if you have a birthday in June or July, would you just remain standing? Everyone else, please just sit. June or July. June or July. Great. Wonderful. Look at you all. Great. Now, I'm I'm wondering further uh, if you have a birthday in the last week of June or in the first week of July. Would you remain standing? Last week of June, first week of July. Okay. Now, I'm wondering if you just have a birthday in the last week of June. Could you just keep standing? Great. Oh, there's just two now left. Is that right? Okay. So, is that is that Jill? Yep. And Maxine. Is that right? Great. Now, uh, who is is one of your birthdays today? No. Tomorrow. Jill. And when's yours, Maxine? <laughs> So yours is on Tuesday. Why don't we give these people a big round of applause? I'm wondering if someone could run up um, one of these each, and you can have one yourself for doing that. 
Congratulations. Happy birthday. We all want to just say happy birthday. Let's all say happy birthday together. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Great. Good. Uh, what I've just done is singled out, out of all of us here, just a few special people based on their birthday. And we've looked together and we've said, out of everyone who stood, it came right down to these two. And they're special. And we delight in saying, good on you. Happy birthday, guys. You stand out of the crowd today. It's good. <coughs> we kind of do this thing all the time, don't we? I mean, we always kind of think, oh, Leighton Hewitt. But all of a sudden, we love him. He's round the fourth round of Wimbledon last <laughs> night. Oh, we're, we're, Leighton Hewitt, he's ex- exceptional. You know, he's great. Ah, oh, come on, Leighton. Uh, then I, I think we kind of do this in our culture too. Um, we we, we, we recognise and uphold people. And on Friday, what a significant day, uh, Farrah Fawcett passed away. You know, and some of the headlines have been saying, you know, uh, God, uh, an angel on earth. You know, she was Char- one of Charlie's angels. And, and someone who was, you know, very uh, attractive in the 70s. And, and we, we kind of said, isn't she great? We love her. She's great. And then on Friday, Michael Jackson, many, you know, many of us grew up listening to all his music. And, and when he passed away, people have been saying some of the most incredible things about him. They called him the king of pop. And our family gathered together, especially last night, around the, table, around the telly for that special that they had on him. And, and it was incredible, you know, all the thriller, <laughs> just beat it. You know, beat it, beat it. Oh, well, oh, Sandy, Sandy just said, give us the move, so I've got permission. <laughs> but it's a Baptist church and, you know. All oh, right, I'll show you some moves. <laughs> Last night we were watching and they said there was this moment when, it, you know, it just changed everything at the Music Awards when he was doing, you know, Billy Jean. It's not like... <laughs> And then, and then he kind of went like this. Yeah. There we go. It's not that good. I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. But what we did was we said, Michael Jackson, he, he, no one's ever done a moonwalk like that. Or made a, a, a music video where there's a story about it. He's the king of pop. And we, we say he's fantastic. And people are really upset and, and all that. Because... We like to kind of pull out the person that's the exception to the rule, don't we? Every now and again, there comes along one. Well, perhaps once in the whole of eternity, <laughs> comes along one who's singled out from every other single person. And this one is not different because of their dancing, or their sporting skills, or what they do for us, you know, uh, how they make us feel. This one comes different from all the rest because this one came as God in the flesh. And some of the most incredible, staggering claims are made in the passage that Eliza read for us today. That in essence, boil down to this fact that if Jesus is who he claimed, who John declared him to be in the passage today, the effects on yours and my life can be nothing short of life or death. 
And they can change the whole of our eternity as to whether we accept Jesus' claims as who he is. So you remember what's happened so far in John, don't you? Last week, John was getting such a huge following. John the Baptist, not John the Evangelist who wrote John's Gospel, but John the Baptist was getting such a great following that the Pharisees and the scribes sort of came and they sent a delegation to John and said, are you the one, are you the one? And John said, no, I'm not. He said categorically, he said, I'm not the one, I'm not the one. And, and, and then he kind of said, I'm just the voice. I'm the voice. I'm not the substance. I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make way, make straight the path for the Lord. And so what John came, he came baptizing people, a baptism of repentance. Prepare, get ready, because one is coming. One is coming. And so they must have gone away that day, you know, saying, gee, John, it's, John's not the one. No, he said categorically that he's not the one. I wonder who is the one. And maybe they went to bed and, and slept and then the the Bible reading that we have in front of us today, if you have it, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And from verses 29 to 34. Uh, what happens is the next day, so this is the day after that had happened, then Jesus came. It says John, you know, John w- was there and he saw Jesus walking towards him. Maybe John had all his disciples and all his followers around him. Maybe he'd been baptising. Maybe there were lots of people listening to every word that he said. And then Jesus comes and John saw him. And then he said these words to all who would listen. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world. Now, there would have been people all around that were listening and were waiting, and they were waiting for the coming one, the the Messiah, the one who was to come. And as they heard those words, they would have engaged with so much of what the Old Testament had said. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God was something that perhaps they understood. You know, in, uh, in right through the Bible, this whole idea of someone, something, a death being needed to take place for forgiveness of sin can be found. And they were probably thinking about it. You see, right back in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 to 17, Adam and Eve are in the book of Genesis and they're there in the garden and God says to them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. When you eat it, you will surely die. Die. And you know what happened? The serpent came along and said, oh, you surely will not die. You'll become like God. You'll know good and evil and it's all going to be all right. And so they ate from the tree that God had told them not to and then they waited. I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what was going through their mind as they waited. 
when are we going to die? I mean, we ate the fruit. When are we going to die? Or perhaps God's going to come and he's going to say, oh, you know how I said you would die eating that fruit? You know, I just say some things that I don't often mean. And, you know, you disobeyed me and we can just overlook that and let's just, I'll, I'll wink at sin this time. Let's just forget it. And so they're waiting there. Is he going to kill us? Is he going to do what he said he would do? And when God shows up, what does he do? Look at verse, chapter 3 and verse 21. We read, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve, and he clothed them. Now, many people just look right over this verse and don't think much about this verse. But what this verse is showing us is that God slaughtered an animal and clothed Adam and Eve in its skin. Now, instead of them dying, God took an animal and killed it in their place. And I wonder what Adam and Eve did as they watched this animal die. They would never have seen death happen before. And yet they watched as, as an animal was slaughtered right in front of them, blood squealing, and they would have been horrified. And as they looked, I imagine they must have been very quiet as they saw death for the very first time, as they saw blood. They would have realised that it should have been them. They should have died. And they would have been so thankful that they didn't have to die, that God provided a substitute for them. Go forth to Genesis 22 when Abraham and Isaac, uh, God, God says, uh, to, you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. And as, as Abraham's heading to the hill with his son Isaac, he said, uh, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And you know how, how God had said that he was to sacrifice Isaac to show his love. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And you know the story as Abraham obeyed God and was ready. God provided a lamb instead of his son that died. They would have known this. I jump forward to about uh, 1450 BC. And, and this is the time when the Egyptians were causing untold misery, misery on the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. And evil was going on in the eyes of God that uh, he, it was so bad that he told Moses, he said, tell the Egyptians that I'm going to judge them. I'm going to judge them. I'm going to judge them for the sin that they've committed against me. And, and you can read all about this in Exodus 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12. And he told Moses, I will go through Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl. Everyone, regardless of race, that's going to be the punishment for you. You're going to die. Every firstborn son. And it's going to be terrible. 
but it's going to be because of the sins that you've committed against me. And what happened is then he told them this. He said, but you can avoid the punishment that's coming. You can avoid what's coming tonight. You can take a lamb and you can slaughter the lamb. You can kill the lamb and you can put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of your house. And if you put it on the door frames of the house, then that night God will pass over the house. And the lamb that died will have died atoning for the sins of that household. That lamb would have died so that God would pass over because that lamb died instead of the firstborn son. Now, some people didn't believe this. They heard that this was going to happen. They heard about the option of killing a lamb to avoid God's punishment, but they didn't believe it. They said, oh, you know, it's all right. They ignored it. While there were others who really feared God and they went out and they killed their lambs. And, and, and I can imagine what it must have been like for a little boy just, you know, with his dad and his dad taking a lamb and killing it and, and saying, Dad, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you doing killing that lamb? And... The father sort of saying, well, son, you know, it's because we've sinned against God that we're killing this lamb. And I can imagine the son sort of saying, but, but dad, what, did the, what did the lamb do? What, what did the lamb do? Why does the lamb have to die? And the father's saying, you know, the lamb did nothing. But God has allowed it to be a substitute instead of us having to die. He's allowed the lamb to die. Instead of us. Can you imagine what it must have been like all across Egypt that following morning? As people woke up, you could hear the cries of grief from household after household. As people woke up and fathers would have come out into the streets holding the bodies of their dead sons. And they would have been in grief saying, oh no, I wish I had killed a lamb. I wish I'd taken the advice. If only I had slaughtered a lamb and put it over my doorpost, my son would be alive. And then there'd be other fathers just pulling their sons close, saying, thank you, God. Thank you that you provided a way that my son could live. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you provided a substitute. You provided a way that I could be forgiven. This whole sacrificial system from, of Israel after the Exodus was based around God's acceptance of a sacrifice of an animal in the place of people to atone for the sins of people. And then something really strange started to happen. Um, the prophet Isaiah started to speak about a lamb. And he wrote in Isaiah 53, 7, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was led like a lamb 
to the slaughter. And then in, in verse 5, he said, and he was pierced for our transgression and he was crushed for our sins, for our iniquities. And people must have been saying, what are you talking about? He? I mean, it's a lamb, isn't it? But he was led, a, a person, the prophet Isaiah is talking about. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he was pierced for our transgressions. People must have been saying, what's going on uh, happened? No way. You're not saying that, uh, you're not suggesting that, that a person is going to die instead of a lamb. And people began to wait for a coming person, one who would take upon himself the iniquities, the sin of all people. And there would be no more animal sacrifice. And God would allow one to die for all. So can you imagine what it must have been like that next day when John saw Jesus coming towards him and he called out to his disciples and all those that were listening and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Many people would have looked and there would have been some in the crowd that said, no way, that's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, we know him. I mean, he's, we've seen him around. It can't be him. And many would have said, oh, well, let's just keep going about our lives and we'll keep looking for a Messiah. But, but John was so emphatic, you can, you can kind of read in the passage right here that he said. He, he said, he's the one. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You know, he said, oh, I'm older, I'm six months older than Jesus. But even though I was before him, he's before me. He's the one who was in the beginning was the word and the word was God. He's the eternal one. He's the one I'm talking about. I myself did not know him, John says, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I came to prepare the way. My job was to point you not to me, but to him. In humility, I'm a witness to him. He's the one. And just so that they weren't confused that this was the Lamb of God, he said, listen to this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. When would this have happened? At Jesus' baptism. Six weeks earlier, uh, Jesus had come to John and, and was baptised by John. And as John baptised him up out of the water, he came. And the Spirit of God descended. John says, I saw it come down and remain on him. With Jesus, I baptised with water, but comes one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. One whom, you know, you won't just have a baptism of repentance, but you have a, a baptism where you'll respond and be forgiven of your sins and God's Spirit will come 
and live in you, empower you to live. He says, I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me that the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. And then he must have looked at Jesus and looked at the people and he must have gathered all his voice and I imagine John would have been able to do that well and he said, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Right from this point, John sort of steps into the background more. Job over um, to point people to Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And from now on, we see John's disciples leaving John and going and following Jesus. And, and, and we see those that decided to follow Jesus, those that followed him would have heard Jesus' incredible teaching and they would have thought these are like the words of God himself. They would have observed his sinless and God-filled life. They would have seen the miracles that he did and the way that he acted and thought this is the Son of God. And as Jesus was nailed to a cross, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. They would have known that with every nail, with every hammer, with every blood that dropped from his body, with every bit of life that drained from his body, He was being the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Those who had left John and followed him continued to follow him. On Easter Sunday morning, Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd paid the price of sin in full. He'd conquered death. He'd conquered sin. And he'd taken away the sin of the world. And those who put their faith and trust in him actually proclaimed strongly that salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. This is what they said in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven and earth given to people by which he must be saved. They received Jesus, the Lamb of God, as their Lord and Saviour. And the Holy Spirit came into their lives and empowered them to live life to the full, life that before coming into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they never dreamed of having life in all its fullness. And today, people all around the world continue to realise that there's something that's stopping us from having a relationship with God. 
There are people today who know their sinfulness. And when they read the Bible and they realize that God wants us to be holy as he is holy and God wants us to live, you know, hating sin and living pure and godly lives, people realize and they look and they think, oh, wretched man that I am. I can't live the kind of life that God is calling me to live. And yet all over the world, there are people who are stuck in their sin, who put their trust in Jesus for forgiveness of their sin. The Lamb of God, they say, yes, when I lie, when I cheat, when I turn my back on God, when I hate, when I tear down words, when I'm addicted to things that are destroying, when I hurt other people, when my life is filled with sin, when all of that happens, I'm looking to Jesus, the Lamb of God, and his death as a substitute for the death that I deserve to pay. God's a holy God. The death that Jesus says, you, you, God says, you all deserve to die. Every single person deserves death because of your sin. Every single person will face judgment, either with Christ or without Christ. And if you face judgment before God without Jesus, you will have to pay the price yourself and it's death. And it's death separated from God in hell for eternity. And just like those Egyptian people, you can say, ah, it's okay, I'll put up with that. You know, or I don't really believe it or you know, I'll take that, I'm tough, I can take that. Or you can acknowledge your inability to save yourself and accept the free gift of Jesus dying on the cross, the death that you fully deserved and accept him, his death as a substitute for you. This is why people call the gospel good news. This is why people say this is the best thing that ever happened because Christianity is not about all being good and living a good life and trying to do it when you know you're sinful and terrible and you, and you find it really hard. It's living a life to the full because you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. The Holy Spirit has come to fill your life and empowers you now to live a life that you long to live. Because Christ has forgiven you and declared you righteous and declared that you are now his child. To as many as believe, to whoever received, he gave the right to become children of God in this morning. Right now, you can become his child. Not because of what you've done, because you're great, but because you're sinful and deserve death. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, has died in your place. It doesn't mean that everybody's saved. Only those who put their trust and faith in him can receive eternal life. This morning, just now, you can come and say, God, I'm sinful. God, I'm not what you want me to be. I'm broken. I'm guilty. I'm that lamb of God. 
I come. I come to you. I put my trust in you. This morning, if that's you now, maybe you might just open your heart to God and say to Jesus, the Lamb of God, I'm putting my trust and faith in you. I come. In these moments, why don't you just say that to him? Why don't you offer that prayer up to him right now? away the sin of the world. If you just cry out, he will receive you. He will offer you forgiveness and you'll be given a path right to God. He died in your place and you can know him. As you've said yes, as you said I come, you become part of God's family. Just a prayer like you've prayed is all that's needed. For some of you this morning, you've actually become a Christian and you know this in your head, But often you forget that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And though you know that Jesus died on the cross, you've never fully grasped that sin is forgiven. Guilt, you know, is gone. Christ paid it all and Christian today. If you've put your faith in Christ, would you affirm today that you've been washed by the blood of Jesus? that for you to wallow in your sin anymore, for you to think that you're not good enough, for you to stand and think, even though Jesus declares that I'm forgiven and that the price has been paid, I'm still hanging on and thinking I'm not forgiven. I'm still telling God that no, that couldn't have happened. Well, this morning, you who have come to Christ before, grab hold of the cross Take hold of his full forgiveness and live in the freedom that you are forgiven. This is the best news ever. And and, and accept it. Come to the cross. You don't have to feel condemned. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Live it to the full. Just come. As we pray and as we think through these words, may they be your heart, Christian. May you with joy. Realise you're forgiven and set free. Let's reflect on that together. Just as I am.
without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to God, we come to you this morning. We come just as we are. Oh, with nothing that we can claim of ourselves. But clinging to the cross, clinging to this truth that John was right when he said, you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we come and we stand before you, God, because your blood was shed. You died, Jesus, in our place. And now you bid us come and live and follow you and live for you in this rich and deep forgiveness. A Lamb of God, we come. A Lamb of God, we come. We come and we give our lives to you afresh. We hold the cross so dear and we're so thankful for all that you have done. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for all that you've done. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a great God we have. And to fully grasp all that he's done. I don't think we will, but I think today as we've looked at the Lamb of God, we come to see more of who He is. Uh, why don't we respond now through our offering? And it's just a time for us to say, God, you've given so much to us. We give you our lives afresh. And don't just disengage here from what you've just heard. This is so connected with what you've just heard. I mean, God wants not just you to give your finances. He wants your life. He wants all that you have to live for him in this amazing grace. So as you give, would you give with thankful hearts today? It may be this morning that you have made a commitment to follow Christ or you've re-decided to put your trust in the one who saves you. Why don't you just indicate that on the blue card and put that in as well. There'll be people down the front to pray. We'd just love to pray with you this morning. So as we come to give, let's pray now. God, all that we have is yours. We've been given forgiveness. And we thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Christ's death. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. And as we give, we would give our lives afresh. We'd jump into the buckets ourselves, God, if there was room. But as we give of our finance and our gifts and all that we're giving, we just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lamb of God. Take it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now our offering will be collected and just continue to worship him as we give uh, our Lamb of God.